Welcome to My Life Chassidus Applied, episode 325, a special Chai El edition. Good Yontiv Chak Sameach, it's a special day tonight, the 18th of El, the day that is the birthday of the two great luminaries, Shnei Hameidus Hagdelim, the Baal Shemtev and the Alta Rebbe, the Shnei Zalman of Liadi, both born on this day, and respectively, the Baal Shemtev is the founder of Chassidus HaKlolis, General Chassidus, and the Alter Rebbe, the founder of Chassidus Chabad. So 322 years ago was the birthday of the Baal Shem Tov, 275 years ago of the Alter Rebbe. Respectively, the year Nachas, Baal Shem Tov, and the year Kohos, the Alter Rebbe. This program is dedicated by Renato Achman in loving memory of his father, Shmiel Gudela, Gudela, passed away on August 11th, the 21st day of Av. Our hearts go out to him and his family. May the study and the learning and the, everything that we derive from this program be in the honor of his father's neshama, bring blessings to him and to all family and friends. So Chayel, Chayel, so much is written about it, so much has been spoken about it, by the Rabbeim, especially the Friedrich Rebbe. Above all, he says that Chayel is the day that brings Chayes into Elul. Chayes, Chayes, life, vitality. So Elul is the Avoida, of course, the last month of the year, the Chedesh HaCheshben, when we make an accounting for all that took place in the previous year, and the Chedesh HaChana, the year that prepares us for the coming year. So with all the introspection and soul-searching of this month, a chayel begins a deeper dimension, chayes, a vitality, a pnimius, a warmth and a passion. Friedrich Rebbe says that the last 12 days of Elul, which is, starts with chayel as a countdown to Rosh Hashanah, each day corresponds to another one of the months. So the 18th of Elul corresponds to Tishrei, the 19th of Elul to Cheshvan, the 20th of Elul to Kislev, and so on, until we reach the Elul within Elul as we conclude the year. So much has been said, much has been learned about it, which is, of course, the reason that it's most appropriate. And here I'm glad and excited and delighted to announce that we're going to be announcing the winners of the sixth annual My Life Chassidus Applied Essay and Creative Contest. Yes, it was meant to be announced right after Purim, Yud Aleph Nissen time, but due to the pandemic and other reasons, we were unable to do so. So... Everything is Yusun Ermin Acheshach. We find deeper strength. So this contest is going to even have more, more, uh, more prize winners, as I'll discuss at the end of the program, where I can do the countdown of all the winners. This year we have seven tracks of winners, thirteen winner monetary prize winners, and I'll describe it in detail later in the program. So Chayel, Chayel. As I said, it's a day of deep introspection, especially on its deeper spiritual and neshamadika way in the spirit of the founders of Chassidus Chabad and Chassidus Aklolis in, in the other order. Chassidus Aklolis and Chassidus Chabad. In the Sikhs, the Friedrich Rebbe says that the Baal Shem Tov taught in a time of um, spiritual coma, in a time where there was a spiritual depression for all the difficulties and challenges that took its toll on the Jewish people when the Baal Shem Tov came it says the Baal Shem Tov's name Yisrael was to wake them up. The name Yisrael is the general name of the Jewish people. When you can't call someone by their name, it, it can even wake up someone who's in a faint or in a comatose state, God forbid. 
So the Baal Shem Tov taught how every human being, every person, can serve God, no matter who you are, no matter what your background. And the Alter Rebbe, the founder of Chassidus Chabad, taught how everyone can serve. So he taught everyone can, and the Alter Rebbe taught how. It's a beautiful analogy, given that the Baal Shem Tov provided us with a ladder, and the Alter Rebbe taught us how to climb the ladder. So Tchayel has particular strength and power, and Chassidus applied it's quite obvious what it is. In many ways, it's the birth of Chassidus. Not the actual birth of Chassidus, the birth of the founders of Chassidus, which is the beginning of their life's mission and how they transformed the Jewish world and the larger world through the teachings of the Baal Shem Tov and then through the Magad of Mizrich and through the Alter Rebbe and through his, his um, Mamala Mekema, meaning all the Rebbeim that followed him. Yes. So what we have is that chassidus applied that we're doing here would not be possible without these individuals, without these rabbeim. They're the ones that brought chassidus to the world, and thank God for that. The tools of how to translate Torah and Yiddishkeit into ways that we can refine ourselves and grow and become total servants and of God in transforming ourselves and the world around us. So with that said, I want to talk about a few questions that came in because the idea of Chayel itself I've spoken about quite a number of years. I'll just give you some reference to episodes 82, 132, 178, and 227. And I shared briefly what we said earlier. From a point of view of applied chassidus, it's a day where we look into ourselves and we say, okay, where does our soul stand? Where does the neshama stand? And especially as we prepare for a new year, and coming from a previous year. This period in time is an excellent time for introspection. So in addition to all that, we also have this particular year where many of our outer lives and security blankets have been disrupted. It's even more conducive for that type of introspection. So that's on a very basic and obvious level. But I want to speak about a few questions that came in recently that are connected to Chayel. First is, was the Baal Shem Tov Agon, a great scholar? Was the Baal Shem Tov well-versed in the Gemara? Was he Agon? Why don't we have any of his writings on the Gemara? Well, I'll just compound that question. There's some detractors or people who have always looked to criticize Chassidim actually dismissed that Baal Shem Tov in saying that he was a beautiful soul, but they, I don't want to even repeat it, they question his scholarship. The Rebbe, in a very powerful letter, writes, that anyone that knows what a Torah scholar is knows that a Torah scholar would never be drawn to, as his Rebbe, someone that was not a scholar himself. The fact that the Alter Rebbe, who everyone agrees, indisputable, because there we do have Shulchan Aruch, Tanya, all his chuvas. I mean, it's very clear the level of his scholarship, both in the esoteric and the exoteric, both in the Talmudic, the revealed part of Torah, and the Talmudic part of Torah, and the Halacha of Torah, and the esoteric the Shmosa, the soul of Torah, Primus Torah, that he would not be drawn to the teachings of a person who in any way was not a level of a scholar. We all love every Jew, even a simple Jew. And being that it wasn't just the Alter Rebbe, it was so many other scholars in his time, great scholars, we're talking about masters, that were drawn to him and respected him and saw them as his teacher and Rebbe, not just they admired that he loved Jews. It clearly indicates that that was his, his position and his stature. 
The fact that some leave documentation and some leave books and works and some don't, everyone has their shlichus. The Arizal as well, who was a great, tremendous scholar, did not write much. His student wrote, Abchaim Vital and other students. Balshemtev as well did not write, not Primis and not Nigel His shlichus was, it was a desperate time where Jews were sinking and was essentially initiating. Nothing new, everything comes from Matan Teda, but was introducing to the Jewish world a new way, a new deeper dimension of doing Teda mitzvahs, with heart, with soul, appreciating an Hashem, what Avis Yisrael is. If you look at everything that Baal Shem Tov taught, he essentially reinvigorated and revitalized Judaism, all of Judaism, learning Teda, doing mitzvahs, and focused on the essential components that were being lost sometimes by the scholars. So I would argue that on the contrary, the greatest scholar is the one is not about showing off his scholarship. It's about doing what is necessary. So just like in each generation, Moshe Rabbeinu was a terrible, tremendous scholar, but when it came to time, he had to be a leader and serve as a leader. This doesn't take away from his scholarship. There we, had, no, we know, of course, his scholarship. In each generation, the leader does what needs to be done. So the Basham Tov left his teachings. His teachings, once you learn them, you realize the depth, including the depth on a Talmudic level, but it was not his position to, to write and to teach necessarily. He wasn't going to write a Shulchan Aruch. That was not the mission he was given. God's plans are mysterious to us. He sends the leader in each generation with all the scholarship. And when you learn the teachings of Chassidus, you see the depth involved. Not just the depth on the Kabbalistic and esoteric level, but the depth on all dimensions of Tayyid. So that's not even a question. The fact that some people choose to criticize either because they, they begin with preconceived notions or they have some agenda doesn't change the facts. As I said, look now at what Chassid is built. When you look after the Magad of Mizrich and then the Altareb and what we have today, you see a body of work that impacts every part of Teirah and infuses all of Teirah with deeper depth, deeper feeling, passion, and above all, connection with God. Because at the end of the day, the Torah is meant to be godly Torah, a divine Torah not just an academic exercise, God forbid. Since we're talking about the Baal Shem Tov, another question came in about the Alter Rebbe. What does it mean that the Alter Rebbe had a Neshama Chadasha? So today on his birthday, tonight on his birthday, we're told that a Neshama Chadasha, a new soul, and the Baal Shem Tov prepared Rabbaruch, the Alter Rebbe's father, that a special soul is coming and gave him instructions how to prepare for the birth of the Alter Rebbe. And made it clear, we're talking about a new, unprecedented neshama. What does that mean? Are some souls greater than others? Okay, very good question as well. So, in response, so let's first describe neshama chadosha. This is brought in the sikhs of the Fidik Rebbe. And before that, that the Barshantav said that this is a special neshama who's going to open up a new path. Again, when we say new in Judaism, we don't mean, God forbid, new mitzvahs and new teirah. We mean a new approach a new level of commitment, a new level of shruchnius. Just like we say when the Geula will come, Chaz Rosham, the Torah remains Nitzchis, but there'll be a whole new dimension of experience. So, and he prepared, as I said, the Alter Rebbe's parents, and actually made it clear that the Alter Rebbe belongs to the Mizritcha Magad, that they should not reveal the Baal Shem Tov's identity, the identity to him, even though the Alter Rebbe did see him. And, uh, and, and more details regarding that. What is a Neshama Chadosha? So the Kabbalah Achsidus explains that souls all begin obviously with Adam and Chava, Adam and Adam Arish. 
But souls, they break down, like branches, as there's a general soul, and the soul then branches off, and further branches off, and then you have all the souls of people on earth. When a soul doesn't finish its mission, for whatever reason, does not complete its mission, there's the concept of Gilgal. It will return again, reincarnate, to finish the job that wasn't finished. So many of the neshamas, most of the neshamas, some say almost all the neshamas, are all in our generations are Gilgulim, which means it wasn't the first time this soul was here on earth. It was here in a previous lifetime, in a previous body, and it's finishing its job. There are the rare occasions where you have a neshama chadosh, it means a neshama comes down that does not finishing a previous mission. It's beginning a new mission. And neshamas like that innovate. Al-Tarebbe, almost everything he touched, he added a whole new dimension to it, both in halacha, shechita, mikveh, nusachat fila, how to slaughter, uh, uh, the way we daven, the mikveh, the... The, um, and I mean, he, of course, wrote a whole Shulchan Aruch at the instruction of the Rebbe Magid, and then, of course, in Primis Ater, Shnei Oyer, his name is Shnei Oyer, two lights, the light of Nigla the the light of Primis Ater, all coming together. And as, the, as Rabbi Levi Yitzchak, the Rebbe's father, explains, Shnei Oyer being Nimshach in Zman, Lizman, that's the Asius Zalman. So the Alter Rebbe was a Neshama Chadosha, intentionally be able to create a whole new dimension of Yiddishkeit. And again, new dimension means everything that was there, but in a new way, looking at it in a new way, a comprehensive blueprint of how we can apply Torah and mitzvahs and, God and uh, Judaism to our personal lives in a primitive way to elevate our love of God and our awe of God, to permeate our thought, speech, and action, and all, all our ten faculties, cognitive, emotional, behavioral, and even touching the superconscious, the supersensory, what we call Kesa, the Primicheches Makifim of Chayin Yechid. That's what the Alter Rebbe did. So Neshama Chadosh is necessary for something of that nature. So it doesn't have anything from the past. It's coming to be a trailblazer and a pioneer. No, it does not mean all souls are Chelik Alekamem Al Mamaj, the Alter Rebbe writes. A part of God, literally part of God. However you explain it. The difference between Neshamas, as the Alter Rebbe continues in that chapter, is that some Neshamas are related more to the head. Some of the shamas are more general souls. So the difference would be how many layers each soul assumes. When you talk about a neshama klolis of a nasi, a leader, like a Moshe Rabbeinu, and Moshe in each generation, you're talking about a neshama that's like the, that is the encompassing soul of all souls of that generation. That doesn't make that soul superior. It's just a different state. And in that sense, yes, it's a greater soul. A neshama datsilis. And a Shama of Bria, for example, travels through the layers of Bria. So it's also rooted. We say, all, all of us say in the morning, the soul you have given me is pure. And then we say, you've created it. Then you've said, the difference between souls is how much they assume from each of these levels. Think of it like an idea being presented. So an idea can be presented in this pure form. It can be presented with an example, with an allegory, with an anecdote with the parables. Sometimes you have to bring it down further to a student that doesn't get the idea itself. All the way down to olive base, even on the basic level of teaching a child. It's the same idea, the same pure divine idea, but in many more levushim. So the difference between the shamans is in that level. 
It gets deeper than that because there are definitely neshamas of a Rebbe that has that neshama clawless element that's not just less layers or more layers, that also has qualitatively another dimension like a Moshe Rabbeinu. But it's not, here's not the place to go into details. Actually, I spoke about this in episode 256, 256. Another question, which of course in this context is a good question, can you share the three most practical lessons from the Tanya for people today? Okay, Chesidus applied, Chayel, Al-Tareb's birthday. And I'll take, I'll go even further. Let's also do three most practical lessons from the, from the Baal Shem Tov, being that it's Chayel and Baal Shem Tov's birthday as well. So this is something we've discussed. Let's start with the Baal Shem Tov being, came earlier. So overall, we talk about the Baal Shem Tov's contributions in this context. It's an important story to keep in mind, which emphasizes a very key point. There was a dignitary, the Rebbe Friedrich Rebbe traveled to Berlin and other times in different parts of Europe. He was once in Berlin and a delegation of dignified rabbis, Orthodox rabbis of Germany, had a long history of the rabbinate and of Jews there, came to see the Friedrich Rebbe. He was sitting in the lobby in a lobby in a beautiful hotel. One of the questions they asked him is, what did Chassidus come to contribute? They didn't have Chassidus in Germany. They were very devout. What did Chassidus come to contribute? The Friedrich Rebbe gave an example. He looked around in the lobby. There were these exquisite beams, marble beams, very large ones. He said, what do you see? And they described what you see. Exquisite beams, they look powerful. They're elegant. They, they convey all kinds of messages. The Friedrich Rebbe stood up from the sofa where they were sitting, walked over to the beam. They followed him. He took a lamp and shined it on the beam, on the pillar, and said, what do you see now? Now we see the intricate flowers and designs engraved in the pillar, in the marble. Why didn't you say that earlier, the Friedrich Rebbe said? They said, because from a distance, you just see the pillars. When you look closely, you see the flowers, you see the designs. Friedrich Rebbe said, that's what Chassidus came to contribute. It didn't come to contribute anything new, per se. It shined a light on the flowers, looking closer, appreciating the essential elements of Judaism that sometimes can be lost due to either being overwhelmed in oppression or being focused on details, and sometimes forgetting the bigger picture. So the Baal came to shine a light on the flowers. And what are those flowers? The power of a soul. That's contribution number one. The power of a neshama. That a human being should don't look at their surface, look at their soul. Number two, the idea of Avas as a outgrowth of the first, the importance. These are all things that were there before. Neshamas people had from the beginning of time. And Avis Yisrael is a Klal Godel Bateri, Rabbi Akiva says, a verse in the Torah. But how to have Avis Yisrael? By looking into the soul of a Jew and actually applying it, not just on paper, not just theoretical. And the third thing is divine providence. That every thing, every detail, even a leaf turning in the wind, is divine providence and has a lesson for us in our lives. A part of that, even though it can be a fourth point, is the idea that everything is created perpetually. God is constantly creating existence, which of course only enriches the concept of divine providence. These are revolutionary on one hand, but it's the same pillar, but you're seeing the flowers. Three teachings from Tanya, from Chassidus Chabad, from the Alter Rebbe. One is that every one of us has the capacity of total self-control. In chapter 12 in Tanya, he says, is It's the nature of a human being. It's innate. 
for us to be able to control our lives, to control our emotions, to control our behavior. Why is that so vital? Because if it's not innate, if it's acquired, and innate is that we have an animal soul and temptations, how can something acquired be more powerful than something that's innate? So yes, we can control ourselves for a while, but once you say it's part of who we are, that's one chidush in Tanya. And by no means am I saying these are the most important. I'm just t- t- sharing three. You asked the most important. I don't know if I could answer that. I don't know if it says anyway. There is a letter I once read from the Rebbe in English where he pointed out different lines in Tanya that have tremendous lessons. But I don't know if it says anyway three main chidushim from the Rabbeim with that type of authority. So I'll, I'll just share ones that I think are quite far-reaching. That's one, self-control. Number two is that the neshama that we talked about, the Baal Shem Tev, everyone has an innate ava misuteris. It may be concealed, and it is concealed, but you fundamentally are connected to God. A Jew, not he wants, and not he can be severed from godliness. So later in chapter 18 and 19, what I read, chapter 12, 18, 19, Alter Rebbe talks about that innate connection there is. So imagine those two resources, unbelievable. The fact that you have control, which is innate, the fact that you innately are connected, put those together and you have a potent force to f- battle any challenge. And the third Kiddush, I'll just mention the one from Ageres Akedus, Simen Chof, where he says the Yesh HaNivra, the Yeshes, the fact that we feel and we don't relate to a source, we're not related, we don't identify a source in our lives. So most would see that as a negative, something we have to overcome. Says the Alter Rebbe, that comes from the power of Mitzvusim Atzmuseh, that Atzmus himself is the only thing that has no source. And from that he gave us, that's where we have that feeling from. Which means even our very being of feeling self-contained, self-made, is wrong because we are made, but the feeling comes from that divine source and it's our work is to align and recognize that even that independence, so to speak, is also coming from God's kavyachal, so to speak, independence and uniqueness. These are three chidushim, being brief, but obviously each of them can be elaborated upon and there are many, many more. You could basically say every, almost every word in line in Tanya has chidushim. But these are basic ones that I think can be used and applied to our lives in, in literally using them as tools to transform our lives when you know that you have innate control, that your mind, your reflective mind can control your impulsive heart and that you fundamentally are a good person. So in other words, what drives you is not the id but the yid and that you're, even the yesh that you are, even the fact that we feel an agnostic universe that does not feel its source, does not sense its source, is also an expression of atzmos. These have real deep lessons, psychology and emotional growth, and in general dealing with every challenge and, and situation that we face in our lives. I've written about this some more on MeaningfulLife.com. You can check it out. Just search Tanya, the Alter Rebbe. I believe there's one, the, fa- the true father of psychology, where I discuss the Alter Rebbe's Chidushim in context of uh, other schools of thought. Okay. So that we've dedicated now, and I would say I'd refer you to, to episodes 3 and 16, where I discuss further different lessons from Tanya, practical lessons. I will say one more thing. Being that we know that we're fundamentally good 
is such an important thing, especially today when many of us loathe ourselves at worst or have low self-esteem, do not feel we have that value, very depersonalized world, and a lot of dysfunctionality that undermines and erodes our sense of self. So understanding that you are a piece of the divine, like he says in chapter 2 in Tanya, and then later that you have that innate and superconscious love and connection, when you can cultivate that, that can be a very powerful tool in growth on all levels. When we're going to be reading, the, when we're going to be reviewing the winners of the contest later, some of the essays, which were wonderful, some were literally mind-blowing in my mind, actually address this topic further. Since it's also Pashas and Som Vayelach, which is the Shabbos that always comes before Rosh Hashanah, like the Friedrich Rebbe tells the name of the Baal Shem Tov, that every month we bless, but we don't bless the month of Tishrei because Hashem Himself blesses it. And the blessing is, Atem Netzavim Hayem Kulchem. And it's also Pasha Vayelach. So let me just share one short thought from the Rebbe on this. The Tzavim Vayelach sometimes are separate. This year they come together. The Tzavim means to stand strong, to stand upright. Nitzav Melech, like a king, full glory, upright. Vayelach means, and he went. It's a journey, it's movement. Standing strong in a very firm way and walking and moving seems to be two different, two opposites. And yet in Judaism, we need both. We need our rigid roots that are firm, unwavering, give us that type of confidence and structure, like I said, that you absolutely are necessary in this world. God shows you, loves you, you love God. That type of netzovim feeling. But at the same time, just staying, staying in one place is not growth. Growth is vayelach. We always have to have a halicha, movement. Going from strength to strength. Mylan Bakadish, always growing. So, how do we reconcile the two? So, look at a tree. It has rigid and very firm roots embedded in the ground, but it also grows and spreads, branches out. If it's a fruit tree with fruits, it blossoms. So, we need both. We need to have fundamental principles that are unwavering. And then we need to be able to spread our wings and grow in every possible way. That's a short thought. In episodes 179 and 278, I discussed that further. Okay. So now, since it's the month of Elul, we've been also talking about the 60 days. This is a book I wrote, which is also a daily email and a daily podcast. A journey from the month of Rosh Chodesh El through the month, from beginning of Rosh Chodesh El through the month of El, through the month of Tishrei. 60 days, many people using it. I want to thank you for your comments. One beautiful comment came in. I'll just read it. Hi, just got off the phone with my daughter, who is Baruch Hashem, a mother herself. She was telling me how much she enjoys your talks, and especially the 60 days book. She says that when she went to school, she felt it was all based on fear of Hashem, that El is a time of regret, regret and remorse. She's so grateful that she now has the opportunity to learn it from a place of love and a place of acceptance that Hashem is really our Father and loves us and really wants best, what's best for us. What's best for us. The talk you gave that we're also concerned about children going off the derech, maybe the path is too narrow and we need to be more understanding of children's uniqueness, etc. Maybe the derech needs to be wider, the path. You're a true gift to our generation and appreciate all the work that you do. Okay, thank you. So 60 Days is a tremendous resource 
what I've done there really is nothing new. I gathered into daily, into daily, in a, in a daily journey, every day, a thought, exercises, insights, facts, historical facts, customs, mitzvahs. And so it makes for a very compact and concentrated step-by-step journey of introspection that helps us prepare for the new year. If you look at Chayel, you'll see many of the themes of Chayel and then how each day following corresponds to one of the months of the year, as I mentioned earlier. So just wanted to make you aware of it. It's an excellent resource. You can check it out online. You can get the daily email or daily podcast on WhatsApp and so on. Okay. With that little housekeeping, we shall move now. El is also a day when we, a month when we increase in prayer. So I've been doing prayer themes, if you've noticed, in the last few weeks based on honoring Elul. So two more questions came in about prayer, and I'd like to address them. When praying, is it better to read from the Siddur, or can someone just make up their own prayers? By looking up and talking to God and asking for what they need. It's a great question. I've spoken about this many times. Because on one hand, we say, Ezu Avedisha Belev what is service of the heart? This is prayer. When you're studying Torah, which is service of the mind, so your mind needs to be directed, guided, informed. You can't just figure it out yourself. So we look in the Torah. The Torah tells us what God wants of us. Shulchan Aruch, what are the halachas, the laws. But when it comes to heart, service of the heart, that's an emotional thing. I'm crying to my father for my needs. I'm expressing myself. So why shouldn't we just be able to just Go to shul or not in shul, wherever we may be, and just talk like you would talk to your father. Why does it have to be with the structured prayers and a siddur prayer book, a siddur? We're coming Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, it's a machzer, elaborate prayers. So the answer is, because we need to understand what prayer is. The prayers that you see in these books, the prayer book, the book of Psalms, the prayer books, the machzer, the high holiday prayer books, are words that are, think of them, as saturated with divine expression, divine poetry. Just as an example, how to love music. Of course you can play by ear, but when you have notes that are structured, that have been gone through trial and error, time-tested, then how much more powerful will the music be? David HaMelech, the author of the book of Tehillim Psalms, and so many of the prayers are based on, are, are actually the Psalms, said, May it be your will, God, that the words from my mouth that I uttered in crying to you, in beseeching you, in praying to you, should become the words that Jews throughout history will use. And God granted that request. So these are not just His words. These are words that we can use. They're perfectly conducive. And proven by someone who was a composer, like a composer of music, to be used, the best words to use when you want to reach from your heart. What we have to do is learn how to read those words. But it's always meant to be your heart. Your heart expressed through these notes, so to speak. But any good musician knows, you play the notes, you don't never play them twice the same way. Maybe the same notes, different feeling, a different uh, indent, uh, focus, a different emphasis. Different spirit. So even though Shema, we say the same words, every time we say Shema, it should be different. What does the word Echod mean? Unity versus fragmentation. Look into your own life. Do you feel harmony? 
You can apply it every moment differently. So there's the words. The words have that time-tested historical power, eternal power, I would say, divine power. It's like divine words saying, use these words to speak to me. It's like your father telling you, yes, of course I'll hear your cry no matter what language you speak in. But when you speak the language I've given you, it'll be, I'll understand you better. The connection will be made quicker. So in truth, yes, any person can pray in any way they want, straight from the heart. If it's sincere, it's sincere. That's the bottom line. But the prayers we say with these words, it's like using those notes. So you have a combination of both, of the best of both worlds. The emotional, personal, passion, and emotion, plus time-tested words, like music, spiritual musical notes, which is the real essence of prayer. In 60 days, I actually have a section in the back. It's called Beyond Lip Service, a special prayer section that discusses how to pray. And that's what's lacking in our time and generation, how to pray. The way we were taught, yes, it's lip service, so hey, these words, these words, who really cares? But when you learn how to, you start appreciating. And a very basic level, how to begin? Start with one prayer. Choose something that speaks to you. Translate it, read it in the English translation or whatever language that speaks to you. Personalize it, and then say it. The other prayers, you can just say more. You don't have to have the same level of intensity. It may be very difficult to do with the time we have. And there's nothing wrong to do that, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur too. And then you expand. You can start with Shema, you can move to Moda'ani, Ashrei, Baruch Sha'amar, Aleinu. I mean, I'm just your Shema Nesrei. These are just examples. Do it that way, qualitative. Take one prayer and do it qualitatively, and the rest can be more quantity. And remember the Chazan. Or even when we're not praying in a synagogue, the Chazan has us in mind. Even Noshim Shabbat in other words, even the people working in the field, are also included in the Chazan and the Cantor's intentions. But we don't want to rely only on that. We also want to bring our own personal element. So bring your needs. Speak to God about what you need, what you're experiencing now, your challenges, family, personal, interpersonal, spousal, spousal, marital, work, parnasa, health, livelihood, health. Then use a prayer like Shema and try to connect it. Then you'll have the best of both. Okay. Another question someone asked about prayer. Someone asked about best places to pray. Yes, in the previous programs, we spoke about the best places to pray, which means synagogues or, or a shul or the kaisal or special holy places. So we discussed. So his, my question is about the worst places to pray. I recently purchased an old former church building that I will reside in. There, will be, there are still some idols built into the walls and idolic, image, and idolic images in the stained glass windows. I don't have the funds to make repairs and remove the idols at the moment. The idols are not a personal problem for me because I don't believe in them. But is there a problem if I put my tefillin on in the vicinity of an idol? Should I daven outside until I'm able to remove all the idols? Okay. Well, generally speaking, yes, idols are not the conducive place for prayer, even if you don't believe in them. The fact, mere fact they're there, they bring a certain negative energy, something that for, not anyone, for Jews or for anyone, non-Jews, we have one God, and any form of idol is a distraction and much worse. It's one of the greatest prohibitions because you're, you're replacing God with an idol, even though you may not be worshiping it. So I would say try to get rid of it as soon as possible. If you cannot, I would advise, yes, don't pray in that room. For more details, I would ask an, a rabbi, 
because they have to know what, what do you mean by idols exactly. And I'm not trying to in any way qualify what I said earlier. I'm just saying to be able to really give a full answer would be good for having a qualified rabbi that you know, that you can give them more details and they can tell you what you should do and when you should do it and if anything has to be done quicker or not quicker. But in general, it's like any toxic energy. You don't need anything that blocks. We have enough challenges in life. We don't need to have anything that blocks our connection directly to God. Now, of course, you can speak to God anywhere. But there also, we know, there are laws because we have to speak to God in a way, you know, you don't speak to, you don't pray in a bathroom, for example. Is God not everywhere? So the, example, the answer is given, it's not about God, it's about us. That environment is not conducive. It would be like speaking to your loved one in a place that's, that's, that's disgusting or obscene. Yeah, that's not what you do. When you're speaking to a loved one, you find a loving environment or at least a neutral environment. So it's really about our really connecting the proper way. So generally is what I just said, the general points. And beyond that, definitely speak to a competent authority, a rabbi that can give you more information. Okay. Talking about toxins, well, we started a topic last week, and I, I don't want to let it go, even though you can follow up in coming weeks, but the topic was phone addiction to inappropriate content. And I read a heart-wrenching letter from a wife about her spouse, and we, I began to respond, firstly, most important, to strengthen the woman, the, the wife, before dealing with the issue, because the question is also, it's a two-way question, to the spouse, who has to endure this and what they should do, and to the person himself. So I focused more on the wife because that was the letter. So I've had a few letters like that that continued and a follow-up. So I'd like to just um, address that a bit more. And um, so here we, have, here we go. We'll do the follow-up. Firstly, thank you for an amazing service you do for our community. As you spoke about phone addiction to inappropriate content, I want to make you aware and make your listeners aware to a website called sanon.org. S-A-N-O-N. That's S-Anon. It's essentially sexual, sex anonymous is probably short for that. But S-A-N-O-N.org is the oxygen mask you spoke about for the woman whose husband is doing inappropriate stuff online. She can send an email to that website and someone will respond with vital information. Part of that is also that we have, thank God, an anonymous weekly 12-step meeting in our community and a lot of recovery going on. We are the only S Anon meeting in the world currently who are meeting face to face. Again, thank you for dealing with issues most people are afraid of dealing with. Okay, I was going to refer to resources. This is resources, obviously, for a spouse, for the partner, what things can be done. As I said, I will reserve in coming programs to talk about the person themselves who's dealing with this addiction or with this challenge. But now we're talking about support to those that are spouses or family members, what they can do. Another follow-up was, when hearing you speak about what to do about a husband's addiction to inappropriate content, I was shaking. Unfortunately, I too have to deal with a similar situation. And there were many times when I wished to speak to my mother about it. 
She's my rock and support, and it felt too huge to deal without speaking to her about it. My question is this. Is that a violation of my husband's trust to speak to my mother about it? Is that risking that my mother won't see him the same way again? I wouldn't want to hurt my husband. Do you think it's better to only speak to objective, unrelated parties about something of this nature? Thank you for addressing this and everything else that you do. So I want to answer uh, this question, and then I want to add a few more points to last week's program. And we shall talk more about it in the future. I hope we don't have to, but as it stands right now, there's more to say. It's a very good question. On one hand, it's no question that you should not be living with your own silence. But as you point out, should it only be with objective outsiders? You know, bringing your mother in can create more complications. As you said, how she'll look at your husband. Is it breaching a, a, a confidence? The breaching of confidence I'm not concerned about because you're dealing with a situation where you've tried everything you can. The hus- your husband is not doing anything about it, or at least he continues to regress, even if he is doing something about it. And the question is, do you have a therapist for him? Is it working or not working? And most importantly, you need your sanity. So I'm a big believer in finding support. Regarding the mother or others, it all comes down to what your mother is like, to be very honest. If she's an understanding woman, an intelligent woman, and you can confide in her, and you really believe she's not going to look at him differently, just like you love your husband, and though you're really hurt by this, you're trying to preserve the marriage, if she's a support to that, an ally to that, then I would consider speaking to her with that qualification, maybe even opening up and saying, before I speak to you, I'd like to make sure about something. If, on the other hand, she will not be able to do that, and she'll become another factor, we have to contend with her critique, her judgment, her telling you what to do, her nosiness, then I would not speak to her. So it really comes down to what type of mother we're dealing with here. There are plenty of people to speak to, and I say plenty, it doesn't mean you have to go to everyone, but finding people that you can trust and discuss it with, it's vital because it will give you the strength to deal with it. Now, let's just go back to addressing the issue. Last week I spoke a lot about being open, meaning breaking your silence and not feeling that you're alone, reaching out, whether it's the, the, the SNN or to friends or to an objective mentor, mashpia, therapist. It's vital because it'll give you strength. When you come from strength, you'll be able to deal with things better. If you're in weakness and you're debilitated and demoralized, it's going to impact you and your children and your whole environment. You need to be strong. That was what I spoke about. Now, what I want to address a moment, continuing from there, what to do with your husband. At this point, as you discussed, I mean, this scenario is that you've already spoken, you've talked about it with him. He promised, made promises. He did some moves, but he regressed. And you're not sure. Sometimes he tells you, sometimes he doesn't tell you. There's always, of course, another scenario where you haven't yet approached your spouse. I just don't want to deal with all of them, so let me just continue on that one, where there's already been engaging on this, and it's not really resolving the issue. Maybe it's become mitigated, maybe it's become a little less. This comes down to a very deep and personal, intimate connection. And it comes down again to case by case with each husband is different. I'm assuming that you had heart-to-heart conversations. So the question is, where is it going? Have you pushed it to the end? Do you feel that this, you've gone spinning your wheels at this point? Because what else can you say? Or is there something deeper to go to? Because if there's something deeper, then you try that. And say, look, this is affecting me. It's affecting the family. It's affecting you. 
and we're not making progress. Now, he may not like to hear that. If he can't hear that, meaning he right away cuts off and says, no, things are working, you just have to be more patient, and you feel that's not correct, then basically you don't have a partner in this regard. He's just going to push it away. If he indeed, however, shows that he says, I tried, but I don't know what to do, he acknowledges that it's not perfect. Well, not perfect is a big word. He acknowledges that there's much more work to do. Then the question is, we must get very serious intervention. Maybe he has to join a 12-step program. Maybe he has to aggress, much more aggressive therapy. But then you know you have a partner. So I think the first thing is, do you have a partner in this? It would be just like if you have a, a husband that is diabetic or a husband that has uh, other heart disease and he does, refuses to go to a doctor, refuses to accept it. You need to know whether you have a partner that really can work with you, which is, of course, where trust is built. Accountability. If he's telling you, I'm going to a therapist, none of your business, don't worry, everything is going well, don't you see I'm getting better, just have betachen. You know, yes, you can do that once or twice and test it, but if it doesn't go, that way it doesn't work, then you have to become more aggressive. I don't mean aggressive with him, I mean aggressive in, do we have a partnership here? You know, I love you, we're married. Do we have a partnership? Or is this something where you basically are deciding because you're blind spots, you're subjective. Now, it all depends what he can hear. If he can hear the partnership, then you work with him. If he can't, you're going to have to get outside help. That may tell you that you may have to be tougher. You may have to make rules. You may even have to make an ultimatum to some extent. Look, I'm the last person that likes to push a harsher approach. That's why I'm saying go step by step by step. But above all, know that you are in control of your life. You can't control your husband's life, but you're in control of yours, and you can then project that. And that will help him and help everyone around you. If you become weak, essentially a victim of his, a victim of his stories and buying into it and believing all the smoke screens or the, the, the mirages and distractions, then not only you're not helping, you're actually it's breaking you. That's why I'm saying it's all about recognizing the situation, taking the bull by the horns and figuring out, do I have someone to talk to, do I not have? Once you have that diagnosis, it's much easier to discuss the intervention. Now again, we're in the month of Elul. Elul should be preparing with Melech Basada, the king in the field, only for beautiful and great things. But part of it is also tshuva tata, cleaning out the dust. So I don't see this as, even though it's painful to talk about, that I don't see it as something we, are, we have to completely run away from. No, that's what Elul is about. If we're praying for a new year, you want new blessings, new possibilities, new openings, we need to clean up our act. We need to make sure our homes are holy, are, are sacred, kedusha, tara, that our children are growing up in an environment, even though they may not be aware of everything, but there's always the vibe, there's always the subconscious, there's always the, the invisible, the intangible. Children feel it, adults feel it. So this is the time to do it and take it seriously. This is what elders are meant to be, to clean the dust, to clean out our homes, our lives, our hearts and souls. If your husband is someone who can hear that, but I mean sincerely and ready to work toward it, you tell them, I, you have a partner with me. I'll fight with you. I'll fight for you. But if you're not, if you're just going to go into some denial, he may not even know he's going into denial. That's why you're going to have to determine that. As the Rebbe says, shera baila. A righteous woman, baila can mean she fulfills her husband's desire or she creates her husband's desire. And you have to determine that case by case regarding in context of who you're dealing with. Hashem should bless everybody. 
to only have pure shalom bias, to clean out all these things and be able to focus only on one thing, connecting deeper to God, to our purpose, to ourselves, especially Chayel, the Chayas of El, Chassidus, bringing in the primius, the neshama, the heart and soul, that we can experience Yiddishkeit and godliness in an internalized and an intimate fashion. And going to the new year with all that in our arsenal. So with that, with that, we are now going to go, you know, drum roll. I'm just looking, making sure, yep. Drum roll into the My Life Chassidus Applied Essay and Creative Contest 2020 Tovshin Pei. Tovshin Pei, a unique year. As I mentioned earlier, the contest always begins around the Alter Rebbe's yard site, going through Yud Shvat, all those powerful days, concluding around Purim time, which then we mark the essays by a distinguished panel of judges, and then that leads us to announcing the winners usually around Yud Aleph Nisan, the Rebbe's birthday. But Hashem had other plans. Came Purim time, quarantine. We all know what we've been going through, and it's still not over. But after a number of months, pandemic-induced long delay, we are ready to make, these, make this announcement. And this year, I share with you, we always, a greater challenge means we have to dig deeper and find greater resources. So as such, the usual contest in the previous years were three winners, an essay contest alone, three winners, and a student winner, which we introduced in the previous years. This year... Seven tracks. So the pandemic-induced delay has created double output, and the prizes have tripled almost. We'll be giving out $33,500 worth of prizes to 13 monetary winners. As I've always pointed out, everybody's a winner. The mere fact that you invested time and energy and innovation and creativity to take Siddhis and apply it to an issue in life Tell me, is there some greater way to honor and celebrate Chayel, the birth of the Baal Shem Tov and the Alter Rebbe? Another way to celebrate the hours, the hundreds and thousands of hours and pages created by the Rabbeim of Chassidus, applying it to life, using your unique talents, your unique ideas, taking a real challenge in life? I would challenge anyone to find a better way to apply This doesn't take away from other methods, but this is unbelievable. I deeply touched as I was reading some of the essays, looking at some of the creative presentations. So let me tell you first the seven tracks, and we're going to go a countdown from, in each one of them, going from the, the, the top 30, we're going to go from 30 down to 1, and each one of different numbers, as I'll explain in a moment. So there's seven tracks this year, 13 monetary prizes. The seven tracks are number one is... English essays, this has been what we've been doing for the past six years. The, 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 the primary way of doing the contest as we initiated it. Three top winners. The first winner is a $10,000 winner. The second prize is $3,600. The third prize is $1,800. There's also an English special student prize of $500. So that's track one. Track two is the student prize. Track three this year, we created a separate division, a Hebrew division for Hebrew essays, men and women separately. 
Three top winners among the men will be a $5,000 first prize, an $1,800 second prize, and a $1,000 third prize. Same thing for women, track number four. Women, three top winners, $5,000, $1,800, and $1,000 respectively. Then there's a Hebrew student prize for a, for a Talmud, for a male student, of $500, and a Hebrew female student prize of another $500. And finally, track seven. It's a completely new idea that we've decided to introduce. We're calling it the creative artistic track. Here, not an essay, but here you can do it through music, poetry, sculpture, tapestry, videos, or other art forms. We've gotten hundreds and hundreds of submissions from all these different tracks, and this will be a one-time prize of one, one prize, $1,000. And obviously our goal is to expand further. So there you have it. So I'm going to do now, I'm going to go in that order. We're going to start with the English essays, and I'm going to read the winners going from the 30, number 30 and up. And I congratulate all of you, all of you who've submitted. All, everybody's a winner, as I said. But in this world of time and space, there's only way, one way we can really award. We can't award everybody the same way. But don't see it in any way as minimizing the great effort because there have been tremendous contributions. Everything will be posted. You go to chassidahsupply.com slash contest. Every, the winners will be posted. The essays or creative presentations will be posted whether it's in Hebrew or in English. There's also a Hebrew website called diraloy.org, D-I-R-A-L-O.org, where you have all the Hebrew, focused on the Hebrew, exclusively the Hebrew. So chsidasapply.com and diraloy.org. Now, so, are we ready? It's always very exciting, because I am telling you, it's one thing when I present these programs, but there's another to see people of so many different walks of life. I'm telling you, it's very moving. And it's so it's a gift to the Baal Shem Tov and to the Alter Rebbe, to all the Rabbeim, and to all uh, the Jewish people and to the entire human race. So here we go, going from 30 up, going from 30, 29, and so on. The number 30 essay, English essay contest, Yesef Yitzchak Bank, a student, Mayanot Men, he originates from Johannesburg, South Africa, age 23. His topic was, how can I feel connected to Hashem at all times? Number 29, Mushka Feldman, Shlucha Machon Alta Seminary. Her hometown originates from Brooklyn, New York, age 19. Topic, accept or expect? Can we do both? Number 28, Chaya Mushka Stern, Hebrew teacher, Brooklyn, New York, Age 25, the topic is loneliness. Okay. Number 27, Mushki Azagwi, Benoist Chabad of Munsi, originates from Montreal, Canada, age 23, the topic tapping into our true selves. Number 26, Shoshana Gottlieb, King's Cross Clinic receptionist, hometown Sydney, Australia, age 25, the topic loving the world like we love ourselves. Number 25, Aaron Zev Moshel, student Kfar Chabad, coming from Melbourne, Australia, age 19, topic, purposeful living. Rina Pinson is number 24, student at Beis Khan at Tzfas Seminary, originate from Los Angeles, California, age 19, the topic, elevated sleep, elevated sleep. Number 23, Rivka Streicher, hometown London, UK, 
age 26. Topic, you are stronger than you think. Number 22, Mallory Rostin, student Mayanot Women, hometown Alpharetta, Georgia. Age 23, her topic, Peeling Away the Mask, the Hasidic Guide to Overcoming Imposter Syndrome. Number 21, Yael Kane, Benos Chomesh Academy, music teacher, New York, age 27, topic, music, betachon, and mental health. Betachon and mental health. Number 20, Sarah Sobel, a mommy, relationship coach, hometown Brooklyn, New York, age 34, topic, marriage demystified by the mystics. Number 19, Sivia Greenbaum, student, Beishana, Tzva Seminary, hometown Hampton, East Australia, age 19, topic, but why? Number 18, Chani Segelman, Shlucha Machon Alta Seminary, hometown Los Angeles, California, age 19, topic, stop the train. Number 17, Countess Rifke Elkaim, hometown Bell Harbor, Florida, age 68, topic, a journey from fear and suffering to control and serenity. Number 16, Sarah Friedman, student, Yeshiva Schools, Pittsburgh, hometown Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, age 18, topic, first, love yourself. Okay, now the last 15, the top 15. Yehuda Shmotkin, Shliach, Chabad of Hamilton Heights and City College, hometown New York, New York, age 35, topic, the power of imagery. Number 14, Michal Moshel, psychology student, Dover Heights, Australia, age 25. Topic, the BT approach, ways to move past barriers to growth. Number 13, Chaya Miriam, Cynthia Maline, QEP, technical copywriter, hometown Jupiter, Florida, age 60. Topic, getting in shape for the final redemption. Number 12, Mushka Cohen. Student, Beis Rivka, Montreal, hometown, Montreal, Canada, age 16. Topic, they didn't change their names, their language, or their dress. Or their dress. Staying strong to who we are despite our surroundings. Number 11, Rivka Cohen, Beis Chana Women International, hometown, Jerusalem, Israel, age 24. Topic, the lamplighter. Number 10, here we go. Top 10, Chaya Rifkin. Student, Machon Shoshanat, Yerushalayim, hometown New Orleans, Louisiana, age 19. Topic, Judaism, irrelevant micromanagement. Number nine, Kobe Berkowitz, student, Kesser College, Sydney, hometown Sydney, Australia, age 18. Topic, complacency and how to be dissatisfied with it. Number eight, Adel Cohen, Tziva Sashem, writer and editor, hometown Brooklyn, New York, age 25, topic, unconditional trust. Number seven, Moshe Miller, writing, translating, teaching, guiding, self-employed, hometown Chicago, Illinois, age 65, topic, window for words. Number six, Liba Rimler, teacher, Cheder Chabad of Muncie, hometown Pomona, New York, age 21, topic, Weaning our children off extrinsic motivation. Number five is the only exception we've ever made because of very highly sensitive material, but extremely critical essay to read for everybody. 
And you'll see it when you read it. You'll see why. So it's a student from Beis Khan Seminary. Age 19. Topic, the superhuman unmasked. Okay. So now we have the monetary prize winners. We'll begin with the student winner. The student winner is the number four essayist. Is for a $500 prize. Lily Richmond. Student at Machon Alta Seminary. Hometown Twinsburg, Ohio. Age 24. Topic, seeing the future. Number three, this is the third prize, $1,000 winner. Shraga Crombie, Shliach Chabad House at Rutgers University, hometown Edison, New Jersey, age 38. The topic, the Alter Rebbe's brilliant solution to the addict's dilemma. Okay, second prize, $3,600 winner. Shana Slavin, Shluchem Machni Yehuda, Jerusalem, hometown city, Sydney, Australia, age 20, topic, a time to heal. And here we go, the $10,000 prize first winner. First place winner is Miriam Goldberg, teacher at MMSC Day School, home city, Seattle, Washington, age 24, topic, the grass is greenest on your side. Here we go. Those are the 30 top essayists in the English track in the English department. And we will now move to the next track is the Hebrew Essays. The Hebrew Essays. And I'm going to read the top ten, first of the women and then the men, as Moshe first spoke to the women and then the men before Matan Teda. And I want to reiterate again, excellent essays, all of them. And sometimes the distinction between one and another is literally fractions of a point. It can be 99.6 and 99.5. But as I said, we live in a world so that we have to determine. And I uh, wanted to just acknowledge that. So here we go. Here are the top 10 essays in Hebrew essays of women. Chana Leibman from Rishon Letzion in Israel. To live with divine consciousness. Mrs. Chayla Mizrahi, Kfar Chabad, Israel. Sense of superiority in the, in the study of in, in the Torah of Chabad. Next, Dabi Minsberg, Bnei Brak, Rikshut feelings of guilt. Mrs. Marav Basari from Tzfaria, Israel, Machshava Bria, healthy thought. Mrs. Chana ben Chamo from Kfar Chabad, Nolis Kasha, please connect. Mrs. Ruchi Spitzer from Buenos Aires, Argentina, Livcher Bechaim, to choose in life, choose life. And now come the student, the Hebrew female student, Mushke Tabib from Kfar Chabad, Israel, Shinui Atzmi Efshari, can you create fundamental change? This is the $500 prize woman. In the, in the women's Hebrew division. Prize number three, which is a $1,000 third prize for the women, student, Chana Berger, Migdala Emek, Tama Chayim, Taste of Life. Second prize, one, second prize, $1,800 prize, another student, Aliyah Chadad, Netanya Israel, Yamal Yama Betei the Shita 
May your days be filled with gratitude, the Hasidic approach. And the number one prize, a $5,000 prize, in the women's division, Hebrew division, another student, Devora Leia Garelik, Nairia Israel, Seid Hatos Hateva, the secret of a good mistake. Now we do the men, the Hebrew division of the men, going again from the bottom up. Mr. Yal Dahan from Tzvat, Chaim Kalim Imanoshim Koshim. Easy life with difficult people. Students, Shlema Chaim Shmulevitz, Beit Shan in Israel, Nechitut Upitreina Apiteris Achsidis. Inferiority complex and its solution according to Chasidis. Meir Hayitan, Kedomim in Israel, Dibur Vashipur, speaking and refining. Mr. Yohonatan Zevin from Bnei Brak, Hachsidus Lemaise, practical Hasidus. Rabbi Chaim Luria from Lud, Israel, collectivism and individualism in the Torah of the Rebbe. Mr. Israel Yisrael Yitzchaki from Harish, Israel, Hagisha Hachsidim Lechaim Mushanim Ba'elam Hapost Moderni. The Hasidic approach to have a fulfilling life in the postmodern world. Mendel Rager, Shliach in Buenos Aires, Trumas Hasidus Bismedus in Kishalon. Hasidus' contribution in dealing with setbacks. And now, the student prize in the male Hebrew division, $500, student Menachem Mendel Yeshayahu from Kiryat Shmuel Chefa. Baruch Hashem Aveda al OCD. Essentially, serving God as a service of how to deal with OCD. The number three prize, $1,000 prize, Rabbi David Zalmanov from Kiev, Ukraine. Ketzad Livka Dayeta Nechena, how to choose a correct diet. The second prize, $1,800 prize, Menachem Mendel Dekel, Tem Chetmim 770 Kfutze one of the people in the Kfutsa that came to New York for the year, Hitachrut, Hitcharut, sorry, Tzmicha or Tznicha. Competition, does it cause growth or does it cause demoralization? And the first winner, a $5,000 prize of the male track in the Hebrew division, the student, Elozer Nachshin from Yerushalayim, Israel. Tfisa Sazman v'koshe amide bizmanim bafros rikuz, kishu v'rikuz. How do we understand time and the difficulty of focus when a person is dealing with ADHD? There we have the prizes. Now one final track, the creative artistic track, which I found to be the most exciting, not to take away because of the complete unpredictability. We did not know what we're going to receive. Here we knew it was essays. And we found fascinating, fascinating presentations which we will be posting and letting you know about. So this is the creative artistic track going from the top 15, counting down. Here we are. Yep, a lot of winners, that's for sure. Counting from number 14 to up. Freda Raskin. This is the creative artistic track. Freda Raskin, student, Base Rifka Ladies College, hometown East Bentley, Australia, age 18. Her topic was the world around us through the lens of Chassidus. The, the art form was mixed media with text and visual. Number 13, Sholem Cohen, Carnegie Mellon University, principal engineer, hometown Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, age 69. 
Topic, Ketetis of Kedeshim. Poetry was the art form. Number 12, Rifki Teichman. Shluchet Machon Altetzvas, hometown Crown Heights, Brooklyn, age 20. Topic, Infusion. Oil painting. Number 11, Yesef Kaufman, Sofer, scribe. Hometown Johannesburg, South Africa, age 27. Topic, My Garden, Poetry. Number 10, Anthony Ben-Sosan, hometown London, UK, age 63. Topic, Torah map. A maps, art form maps. Number 9, Yehudas Fishman, self-employed, community educator, hometown Boulder, Colorado, age 76. Topic, The Edges of Illusion. Art form, poetry. Number 8, Rifka Goldenberg, student at Beis Chana Tzfas Seminary. Hometown Lawrenceville, New Jersey. Age 19, A Tale of Gold and Dirt. Art form, poetry. Number 7, Moshe Gordon, student, Temchet Mimim, Morristown, hometown Brooklyn, New York. Age 19. Topic, Ma'odecha, Anigan. Art form, music. Number 6, Sarah Muchkin, Village Community School, School Administration, hometown Brooklyn, New York, age 28. Topic Aleph, elevating 2D to 3D. Art form, sculptor. Number five. Number five. Nechamedina Rosenberg, teacher's assistant, hometown Brooklyn, New York, age 20. Topic, mind control, controlling our thoughts according to Chassidus, video and music. Okay. Number four, Ruth Bell, Shlucha Artist, Jewish Heritage Center Coordinator, hometown Leeds, UK, age 64, unifying force, the power of giving. Art form, hand-woven tapestry. Number three, S.D. Stern, hometown Brooklyn, New York, age 28, topic, Hashgacha Protis, art form, lyrics and music. And now the top two. Number two, Sarah Blau, Blau. Sarah Blau, extracurricular director of Base Rifka, hometown Brooklyn, New York, age 31. Topic, soaring free, mixed media with text and visual. And the number one, 2020 winner of the new creative artistic track, $1,000 prize, is Chaim Bell, teacher leads Morris School, hometown Leeds, United Kingdom, age 63. Topic, the return of the exiled prince. Art form, screenplay, script. There you have it, my friends. I assure you, when you will read or watch or listen to any of these, it will bring tears to your eyes as it did to me. Chai El, Tavshin Pei, with all the challenges we're facing, look what beautiful neshamas have done. Taking Chassidus, the crown jewel, as the Alter Rebbe said, the most precious crown jewel of the king's crown, and turned it into a living force of relevance, of passion, of personal application, addressing all types of issues, joyous ones, not so joyous ones, the spectrum of life. You tell me. This is why the Neshama of the Balshemta, the Neshama of the Alter Rebbe, the Neshama of the Magid between them, the Rabbeim afterwards, the Mitla Rebbe, Tzamech Tzedek, Rebbe Marash, Rebbe Rashab, Fridik Rebbe, and Deir Ashvi, our Rebbe, came to this earth is to give us chassidus, to transform our lives and to be illuminating lamplighters impacting everyone around us. This is what you have done. 
and I find it to be a great schus and merit to be part of this. So congratulations to all of you. Congratulations to the winners, to your families. May this be a new shlav, a new stage in your lives. And may it be a new shlav for all of us, that as the curtain comes down, tovshin pei, chayel tovshin pei, we show God, we show the Rabbeim what we've done. That when Mashiach told the Baal Shem Tov, when will you come, he asked the Mashiach. And Mashiach said, kishifutsu manasecha chutza. Here we have, mishifutsu manasecha chutza. May this be the last step, and we have the Geula here. Anchayel. So we can march into Rosh Hashanah with all the Rabbeim, with all Chsidim, with all Eden, and to have the Gula Amitiz Vashlema, the Korib Mamish. This has been My Life Chsidis Applied, special Chayel edition, announcing the winners. Everyone should have a Ksiv Chsimateva. We'll be here every Sunday, like next Sunday, which will be a special Rosh Hashanah edition, 8 to 9 p.m., Thank you very much, and a good niyantif. This program is brought to you by My Life, Chassidus Applied. Please help us continue our programs. Make even a small contribution at chassidusapplied.com slash donate.